to Monday, December 18th, Solid Ground live stream. And we are here, Jennifer Friend, Deborah Knox, and myself. And we are, yeah, we're thinking about the what's going on in the culture right now. What's are we noticing a little bit of a of a shift of things? One of the things we were talking about this morning just before we started this live stream is uh so are you know people are starting to observe changes in the wokeness how people are accepting it there's a bit of a rejection of it in some areas and is it enough what's going on and maybe we can explore that a little bit deborah you had some interesting insights but first does one of do one of you want to give us the blurb tell people who solid ground is and what we do <laughs> yeah i'll do it uh, I'm actually looking on our website so that I don't have to think. <laughs> God for God forbid, I think. Um, Solid Ground is a peer support community dedicated to helping people to navigate the divisive impacts of oppressive ideologies. You can find us at solidgroundsupport.com. We offer three peer support groups per week that you can join for just $5 a month. And our little disclaimer, none of the services offered by Solid Ground or its individual facilitators constitute psychotherapy, medical or legal advice, and should not be construed as such. Awesome. And yes, please join us. We have a lot of time. We have a good time in those meetings. They're good discussions. And I think people get a lot out of it. I get a lot out of it. And still, we've been going on, what, a couple of years with, with the counterweight groups and one year almost for solid ground. So it's really fun. Um, so, and speaking of solid ground, this relates, this topic we're, we're discussing today relates to something that we, we talked about really briefly at the end of our group last Thursday. Deborah, you were there and we were, I raised this up because I, I thought it was really interesting to see um, the sentiment expressed. Peter Bogosian said something about, on his Twitter, said something about, um, it kind of a, I don't I don't have the tweet in front of me. Do you have it, Deborah? It was sort of like a now that we're all now that we're it's safe to to stand up to DEI and social justice ideology. People are standing up to it. Where were they when it was really risky and challenging? And I thought this was an interesting. Um, it, it was interesting because it expressed so much. One thing he got criticized for, and I was critical of it as well, is this, like, that's not how you bring friends to the table. That's not how you, um, you know, if you've been telling people, wake up, come over here and, and listen to us. And then they start to say, okay, I do hear you. I, I'm on your side. And you yell at them because they didn't get there soon enough. That's not necessarily a helpful thing. But then the other thing that he's expressing, it sounds like is real frustration that with people who, didn't help when when it was challenging and he was sticking his neck out and i can relate to both sides of that i can relate to like yeah. please let's not push people away and also yes it is really frustrating to be taking risks when people around you agree and don't say anything but but there's another piece of that and it's the idea that now it's safe like that was that was another chunk of that that clause now it's safe to do this now we're like are we on the other side have we crested a wave have enough of the culture started to reject this kind of critical social justice thinking that we can say things like this and i'm not sure about that but deborah you had some thoughts and i'm really yeah interested. yeah i can't i can't find that particular tweet but i want to share um just there's a woman i follow on twitter i think she goes by 
well, MWA now, I think she was being multiracial whiteness advocate. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> and she's, you know, not been particularly a fan of, of woke things, but she, I'll, I'll read this series of tweets because she went to a party in Brooklyn, um, Park Slope, if you know the vibe, um, probably some Gen Xers and um, some millennials. And she was kind of surprised how people seem to be speaking a bit more freely. Um, even though she's been making fun of all this woke stuff all along, I think it took her aback. So, so she said, um, something, someone had tweeted, why is everyone so racist all of a sudden? And she said, it's happening among even people you least expect. I just left a Christmas party full of urban liberals and it was hemorrhaging like a geyser. Um, and then someone said like actual racism or racism rebranded with modern definitions. And she said the second, but it still was just, God, it was so shocking to hear. Like someone uncorked a bottle of vintage grievances and they all came out at once. And then someone else said, I'm assuming from your tone, these aren't the type of liberals who have been engaging in cheap liberal friendly bigotry the whole time, but rather more sanguine and classy types. And she said, kind of, I'm talking about Park Slope progressive types, some Xers and early millennials in the crowd. It was shocking to be honest. And someone said, can you give an example without naming names? She said, it was a lot of stuff we'd find racist from 2012 to like the present. <laughs> a few Gen Xers decided they were tired of pretending to like rap music. <laughs> Others, laughed <laughs> <laughs> Others laughed about a book I'd read recently and brought up in conversation about privilege, called it well-intentioned, but pathetic. People talked about crime in the starkest, clearest terms imaginable. My friend my age said he grew up not taking the subway because of what's happening now, and he named names. Everyone angry at Harvard, loud, clear pot shots taken at Claudine Gay, worse than anything I've seen on Twitter. Um, and then someone said, this is just the daily classical heterodox liberal Twitter. Only thing missing is hand-wringing about trans women. And she said, I mean, look, I almost ruined a dinner last year because I accidentally used the word retarded offline. Things are shifting. Oh, interesting. <laughs> so how do you interpret all that? What do you think, if you were to describe the experience that this person is, is having in different terms, what would that be? Well, I think, I think one, in terms of you think about her shock, I think we've been, I mean, despite not wanting to be, I've been so sensitized to like anything you know, like, even though I, I wouldn't have never thought these things or, or at all. And so now, because I think our filters or hypersensitivities are so up, even the slightest transgress, whatever, just seems so surprising. And then just to have a whole party of people, imagine these people who have been acting so progressive and so woke, like all along, and all of a sudden they're just going black, like they're just not having it. They just, just, that's it like it's been corked all this time um so it's like the political correctness just came off yeah 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 and and it seemed like I don't know who started it I wasn't there like I don't know if one person went or just everybody had just it was up to here and mm. um but knowing just that setting and like those people those people right like it's it's kind of amusing to me um to see that happen and again I don't know if it's a local circumstance or people are losing it but I'm just seeing I was saying earlier I'm seeing more people on Twitter who are starting to look into what is going on with this DEI stuff what is CRT what is hmm. you know oh people who are waking up to it 
Yeah. So, I mean, again, like, what do I know? I have my little slice of Twitter, um, yeah. not the world, but I, I, I've been curious about that. You see people retweeting like Rufo or Glenn Lowry or whatever. And I don't think they maybe even knew who these people were that long ago. So it's very interesting. Hello to Jen in the chat and Ray and Paul McAuliffe and later Holmes. Hello. Um, Jen says Park Slope. Interesting. Is there hope after all? I don't know Park Slope. So maybe that's a, it's a reference. A New York centric. Okay. <laughs> kind of hipster, you know, more hipster than thou <laughs> kind of place. <laughs> What's well, interesting is like a, a kind of a reminder when you say you're seeing people who are, who are kind of becoming aware of these things now, it's a reminder of what a bubble we exist in and how we've all kind of, even though there's this internet and we're all connected to everything and it feels like everything's everywhere all at once, we still fall into bubbles and camps and cliques. And so the people who've been worried about this particular thing, that's, the thing that I felt like I was talking, I was talking, trying to talk outside of that bubble when I made the first Antioch video, I was thinking of people like, I've said this before, but like my dad who, you know, he would hear, oh, you're worried about racism and stuff. Well, that's good. You need to be worried about that. That's a really good thing. And, but he wouldn't have understood the way it was being taught now was different. There were just, and I think that there, there's probably a large group of people, uh, anybody who was educated prior to what 2010 anybody who was through the higher education system prior to that probably has no idea the way that the shift has happened and how we're talking about these things now and so it might be a lag time before they realize no it really they really are do it's a different thing this isn't an exaggeration on the part of the people who are complaining about it I think some veils are, I don't know if it's veils being pierced, but like, for example, there's a very big, I haven't finished reading it, piece that James Bennett, who was the guy who allowed the Tom Cotton op-ed in the New York Times that was about, you know, bring the National Guard in during the, the period in 2020 when there was so much unrest. And he just basically like excoriates the New York Times and just talks about how like, just not even holding like journalistic standards and and things like that. And if you also, if you look at New York Times comments, reader comments more and more lately, especially on things about DEI, you see a lot of the people in the comments are like, yeah, I've had it with this stuff too. Hmm. Um, so, and on the other hand, someone the other day told me that uh, a friend of them said, oh, I think the New York Times is turning right wing. Oh. <laughs> so <laughs> you still have those people. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, what is right wing now? I mean, what is what is the divide? Has the polarization reached the center <laughs> to where anything that's anything that crosses the midline is, you know, what what is that? What what's your sense of things with regard to political polarization right now? I think anything a hair off of left is right wing. Hmm. A hair off of progressive, fairly progressive left is right wing. What do you think, Jen? I think that the left has been really skilled and very successful at branding anything that is off the left as not just right, but far right and doing and knowing that that's been associated with, you know, of course, really negative things. And they've, um, they've successfully shamed people, I think 
in um in their own in their own interests so that you're terrified to deviate from leftist opinions at all um for fear of being branded far right and therefore you know an actual true racist and um yeah i think they've done a great job at it sadly you know, it makes it harder for some people to make their points like Matt Taibbi has been coming under fire, like, oh, now he's right wing. And so he might have an argument, but he has to, he spends half of his time saying, I'm not right wing. Mm-hmm. And this is yeah. all the ways how, and then like, you know, and that it's harder for him to have any space to actually make the case about whatever he was talking about in the first place. Like he yeah. accepts their framing. I think it's hard to not accept their framing, but I can see people spending a lot of time trying to get out from under the framing. I don't think you can. And I, I, I kind of do think it's a waste of time because they're going to, they're going to do whatever they want to do and whatever's most expedient. And, um, you know, Jordan Peterson has repeatedly explained that he considers himself to be a classic British liberal and people still call him far right. And mm-hmm. I think in part they do it so that he will get that reputation and then people won't bother to listen to him. And um, they won't be influenced by his ideas. I think it's a way of shutting down people even exploring something that doesn't meet with the approval of what is now essentially the establishment. And what an interesting thing that that could be used to dismiss someone so completely. Like the, I, I had, I can remember one person that I had a recorded conversation with on this channel and afterwards there were several comments about how she had she felt like she had to give her liberal cred before she could go into her criticisms like she really had to uh she felt like she had to lay out no i'm really a democrat no i'm really this i'm really that and then she could give her her uh spiel or the thing that she was concerned about and it was like this feeling like that it wouldn't be taken seriously it would be branded as right wing and then dismissed and the and the the people who are watching this channel i it's in it's an interesting mix there tend to be a lot of people who will criticize anything that seems vaguely left or woke and i don't know if they come from more of a of a republican or right-wing perspective i don't know there's it's strange bedfellows in this when you're rejecting woke i have kind of come to the place where i'm rejecting left and right I don't have any time for any of that polarization in my life anymore. And I don't, I don't care for either party. I'm, I'm probably at this point, if I'm just being really honest, less inclined to vote Democrat than anything, but we'll see in time. I mean, I, I'm not going to give my liberal cred here by giving you my track record, although I could political (laughs) history, but um, yeah, it's interesting that you would have, is there such a large group of people and and who are they that wouldn't hear you if you were branded right wing? Who would not be able to hear that? Would it just be the far, far left woke crowd or no. would it be all the Democrats still? I think it would be the vast majority of um, Democrats and people who are just basically normies, you know, sort of the your colleagues, you know, who um your people at work in the corporation who are just you know not particularly politically aware but they've adopted what they think are the um views that are a continuation of the civil rights act but actually aren't 
who don't read widely and, but they, you know, they want to, they want to do the right thing. And they, they assume that whatever the Democrats are saying must be the right thing. They've put years of trust in them. I, I did myself. And, um, so I, I think, yeah, I think they automatically, if they hear right wing, there's a whole host of assumptions that go along with that. And, um, and it shuts down exploration. And so at, at that point, it does make sense to give one's so-called liberal cred in order to speak to those people. If you're trying to say, hey, would you listen to this? I really do have some concerns. Then you have to first establish, I am, I'm like you in these ways. And I have this history that you could relate to in these ways. And so it's not, it's not a... I, I, that's the thing is, is it worth it? Do we accept that paradigm or do we reject that paradigm and not worry about the uh, Ray in the chat says ad hominem is a primary tactic, label someone yep. bad. And then no one need listen to that bad person. And so, yep. and I, I can remember, and I, I don't know if I've said this before on this channel. I I said this to Benjamin recently and he thought it was, he kind of made fun of me for it. And I deserve to be made fun of for it because it's really awful. But at, at a dinner party in Seattle in the, oh, I guess it would have been probably like 2014, 2015. I can remember making this joke that, uh, what did I say? Democrat, uh, Republicans think Democrats have bad ideas, but, but Democrats think Republicans are bad people because they are. That was what I said. That's how I felt. <laughs> I was coming off. I still felt like I was coming off of the Bush two years and the w years mm. and when i felt very uh, very against that that war and what we were doing and the manipulations with the wmds and the patriot act and all this stuff and that was my political coming of age so it was like this wow these people are really horribly corrupt halliburton and rumsfeld and cheney and all these guys just seem like villains to me and it was like that's the that's what republicans are they're bad people and mm. I had I had allowed myself to really adopt that that polarized paradigm to the point where I could sit there and make that joke at a dinner party and feel so smug and self-righteous and feel like everybody around me were good people. So they were going to agree with me, you know, like what a tool <laughs> I just but but I know I felt that way. Oh, no, I was totally like that, too. One hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah, I, I just had, I just had invested my faith so much, you know, in the Democrat, the Democrats that I felt that, well, they're always going to represent what is correct and true. And so therefore I can just read things that are representing their line of thinking. And I can trust that they have fully informed me about the issue. And it's quite, it's quite disorienting when you find out that that's not actually the case. Mm. I know I remember when I lived in Boulder, Colorado, which is fairly liberal, and we had like a weekly, like the Boulder Weekly, and when it was time to vote, at least anything local, I kind of knew what I would do in the, you know, just party ticket, uh, higher levels. I would just read their recommendations for what to vote for, and I would just do what they said, but most, like, I had no idea there was another, I mean, I probably knew there was another point of view, but I didn't even bother to go find it. I just go, mm. what does the Boulder Weekly say? Mm. Yeah. So, what was your, what was your turning point? For me? Yeah. Um, what, what made you open up 
to other thoughts well, I think and other the ideas. Angels in particular. I mean, once I started seeing like a lot of polarization um, and also I was just doing personal practices that were internal like growth practices, which were around getting as many perspectives as possible that you can on things and also not doing shadow projection. So I had like an inner path, psychological, spiritual path that at a certain point wasn't going to allow me to keep doing that. And then when I saw how people were getting so divided and I just, I heard like, I was probably disturbed in like 2016, 2017, but then, um, by 2018, then I was starting to wonder. I still, even for 2020, like I still ardently can uh, campaign for a Democratic candidate. Um, I don't know if I was still vilifying Demo uh, Republicans the same way, but I was definitely for my side, whatever. Mm -hmm. um, but obviously, like once 2020 hit, then I started like question, you know, really questioning everything and reading a lot more things. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah. Did you have a sense of a, of a specific turning point, Jennifer? <laughs> Elliot has an idea. <laughs> God. Um, yeah. So, I mean, it was a couple things. And one of them was, I'm going to see if I can shut him up. Okay. <laughs> I think okay. I stopped. Oh. No, I am going to try to shut him up. Okay. That's fine. Uh, so, so one of, all right, that's enough. That's enough. Away from the window. Okay. Sorry about that. My dog <laughs> has to weigh in on everything. Um, it's opinionated. Actually, um, there were a few things that happened where I started to question the Democrats. Um, I did not like how Obama was um, handling <laughs> things after um, Islamic-based terrorist attacks. He was saying things that I thought were really intellectually dishonest. I can't remember which terrorist attack it was. Um it might have been the Charlie Hebdo attack in Paris. And he said, um, this attack has less to do with, um, with Islam than any other religion, which I thought was astoundingly um, distorted and intellectually dishonest. Um, it wasn't the Buddhists and it wasn't the Quakers. Let's just say that. <laughs> so I was pretty disgusted and started reading um, other views. I also um, really disagreed with the... Uh, democratic response to just the way people were talking about anybody who had any concerns whatsoever about the massive waves of illegal immigration into Europe as well as the U.S. And um, the Washington Post wrote a really nasty hit piece on Jordan Peterson. I'd never heard of him before. And I was like, who is this guy? And I looked him up and started watching his videos and found out that he'd been really misrepresented by the Washington Post as some kind of uh, far-right lunatic. And I thought he was really brilliant and very measured in his opinions. Um, but I have to say that I did feel like, oh, should I be, should I be listening to this guy? Should I, should I be reading him? Is he, is he somehow, you know, dangerous? Because I think people, I mean, it makes sense to be afraid of a true white supremacist, you know, and not that I thought that he was that, but to me, just anything that might be far right, I thought, oh God, you know, that it's dangerous, it's dangerous. So if somebody said, oh, that's far right, I wouldn't listen to those person's opinions. I'd assume that they were some dangerous, racist, misogynistic maniac. Um, but I learned that a lot of things have been misrepresented over the years. And I started checking out other sources and 
thinking more for myself. You know, it's interesting what you say about Jordan Peterson and the way that he was painted. I, I was, um, I began my uh, graduate program in 2019 and I had just learned of him maybe a year before that. I don't know exactly. It's 2017, 2018, I started to kind of pay attention to him and I really found him very inspirational and, and got a lot out of his, the work that he was doing. And here he is, he's one of these, he's a psychology professor and I was in a, an applied psychology program and I was very aware that I couldn't say his name. I was very yeah. aware that I wouldn't be able to bring anything that he set up in that program. And that was kind of chilling for me to know that mm. I have been really motivated by some of the ideas being put out by a prominent psychology professor. And yet I can't talk about him here. That was interesting. And then Brand Brandon Bergian says in the chat, for me, it was the Trump campaign. I watched the media just wildly lie and take out of context everything he said to the point when it that it was so obviously not an accident. And I did observe that too. I didn't see that for a long time because I was only listening to one side of the media. And so I, and I didn't like him. I already didn't, I had an attitude towards him that was negative because I thought he was really coarse and, and um, not a, an intellectual uh you know, upstanding person that you'd want representing your country. So I found him very coarse and vulgar. And so I was inclined to believe whatever the media was saying about him. And then when he gave his Mount Rushmore speech, it would have been in, it was during COVID. I, I don't remember when this was, it was, but it was later on. It wasn't during his campaign. I listened to his speech and I actually liked it a lot. I actually found it to be a very good speech. And then I listened to the way it was being talked about in the media. It was yeah. as if they had listened to a different speech. And that yeah. was really stunning to me. That was really eye-opening for me. Oh yeah. I had that experience with that speech as well. And I thought, my gosh, we have just been lied to for so many years. And um, yeah, it made me realize you really have to check things out for yourself. You cannot just believe what you're told without some reflection and exploration, because I mean, some of these things are just absolute lies and distortions, you know, at the very least like video clips or, or you know, little bits of something. It's like, I'm, I'm like, okay, I want the full version of that. Or I want the full That's right. transcript of that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What it's, it it's very interesting to me what people allow to break through when they have a black and white opinion of something, how does that get chipped away and how does light come through? And so you can start to not, I'm not saying see the other side and be convinced and, and flip and be polarized on the other, in the other direction, but allow nuance to exist within a black and white schema. Yeah. And I don't know, in the case where we're seeing kind of a large effect right now is a lot of people who are Jewish who've been progressive sort of going, whoa, wait a minute. So they're, they're feeling it quite viscerally and painfully thinking, I mean, I just know some people that have been thinking like I've been supportive of BLM or these different causes, you know, Jewish people really helped were there by the side of people during the civil rights movement. And then now what, like, what, what were the oppressors, what you're not, you're going to just let these things happen to these kids on campus and you actually don't care. You don't care women were raped, it doesn't matter, you know, that sort of thing. And so that's one that was, has been a more uh, rapid, I'd say, or shock-induced one. There may be the people that have it more 
gradually, like something just doesn't add up. Um, but I don't know. I don't know what the percentage breakdown is of shock or pain versus, huh, that was weird. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the campus stuff right now is interesting, the, what's happening with people kind of realizing what oh that's what you mean when you say decolonize oh that's you really mean that it's uh being taken quite the awareness that it's quite literal for these people is i think shocking to a lot and i think it's just going to extremes i was in another conversation with this yesterday like it's really becoming blatant that if you're oppressed the idea is if you're oppressed no matter what behavior is acceptable I mean, it's, it's any form of antisocial or violent, whatever, like the, the amount of, the number of people kind of giving that a pass as of course, an oppressed person should be able to do that. It's, it's, it's shocking how much that seems to be taken on board. Um, and then there, there's, then there, there's no like agreement in civil society of certain ways that people should be comporting themselves. Yeah, if you if the content of your grievance is strong enough, then you get a pass on moral civil behavior. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and how do we redirect that? How do how do people begin to redirect that or reestablish the value of of civility? I don't know if the unrest has to get bad enough. I don't know. <laughs> People are like, wait a minute. I don't like what's going on. Um, I don't know. Or, you know, if, if people start realizing the problems with such black and white thinking, but I don't know, you know, again, like how does any one person suddenly see they're doing that and stop mm-hmm. doing it? Um, some of it's cultural, like it's going on around you and people are suddenly into nuance and that's cool. Mm-hmm. Let's see, going to the chat. Uh, Jennifer, Jen, in the chat from earlier on, she says, Park Slope peeps admitting to listening to Glenn Lowry is a big deal. Later home wow. says, loving Glenn and Tabia lays the evil of DEI right out. I don't know who Tabia is. Ta- I think she said Dr. Tabia. Tabia? Okay, Tabia Lee. Some, Ray says Dr. Tabia Lee is inspiring. So that's somebody to check out. David Pellegrinelli says, nice, hope this positive move towards objective reason is not just a blip, but is a change in direction that will gain momentum. Billy here, Ray. Here. Yeah. Billy Ray says, hi from Canada. And Dave, Dave Pellegrinelli says, right wing is anything other than woke. And... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, pretty much. Right. Yeah. And he also says, I wonder how to address that resistance instead of uh, I, I'm not sure this word repeasting or amplifying. Maybe that was uh, repeating, repeating or amplifying the resistance, I guess. Yeah. Um, and then later Holmes says Republicans were warmonger rubes. Dems had John Stewart, superior intellect and humor. So he's kind of describing what was at least definitely my attitude in the in the 2000s. Yeah, that sums it up pretty well. In fact, there was even this idea, at least amongst people I knew, that probably John Stewart was the best place to go for the news, even over the regular news, if you wanted to be yeah. more, even though it was a comedy show. Oh, yeah. No, yeah. I know a lot of people that felt that way. You know, it was kind of interesting when that came out, that 
that information was circulating for a little while. Like, wow, look at the younger generation. They're getting their news from a comedian. <laughs> that was our generation, at least at the time. Mirwar Jumo <laughs> says, Tabia Lee's especially great because she's got a woke hairstyle. Yep. Oh, is that you? You you know. I think it's is. purple. She oh. she has she has colored hair. Okay. Um, and later, Holmes says, "Could a therapist draft me a letter exempting me from DEI activities? It raises my blood pressure to unhealthy levels." Oh, I, I want to say another thing about that. That I don't know what's happening with this, but someone on Twitter said that they were trying to look at the pages that uh, Harvard has on DEI, like on its website. And it looks like a bunch of them are either down or like, like no one knows, are oh, they scrapping wow. them? Are they, you know, the pronouns page was like not there or something. And <laughs> I wow. don't know. I, I didn't go look myself, but I, I, I do imagine they're either cleaning things up or mm -hmm. I don't know if they're really getting rid of them, but that was really amusing. And when I went, uh, last year, Oh, I guess it was around this time last year, I was doing a lot of trying to comb through all this stuff from Antioch because I just started this, uh, this, I guess this conflict process with them. And I was shocked at the stuff that they have on their website, but it's, I, I thought, how is this okay? And how can they just blatantly put this up there? Like the white privilege backpack thing, you know, like a, a university saying these really I'm sorry, just really regressively. I was going to say retarded. I'm just going to go ahead and say it. just really <laughs> retarded. <laughs> it just seems so blatantly racist. Don't you mean intellectually disabled, <laughs> Leslie? Maybe I do. Are you trying, okay, trying to make retarded great again? Merga. No, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I've yeah. just looked up Tabia Lee and I see she's written an article for the New York Post and it's entitled, I was a DEI director. DEI drives campus anti-Semitism. Very nice. I'll read this later. Yeah, mm. her, I'll tell your story in brief, which is she was hired to a Danza College, it's a community college, to come in and be in this DEI position. What's so interesting about her is she's been doing this whole world of DEI, but completely unaware of the CRT or or maybe she wasn't unaware of it, but she had just never seen any of this implemented or operationalized. So she comes in with more of a sense of let's make sure people get along. Let's mm -hmm. learn how to navigate conflict, which to me would be that might be a good thing of having inclusion or whatever, you know, mm -hmm. like 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 people are, you know, different things. And she was blindsided, as far as I could tell, by basic woke approaches to race. Mm. And so she comes in and, and she was also hired, someone else internally had hoped to get that position and signaled to her very quickly that they were kind of pissed that she got it. Mm. And it was just very clear right away when she questioned things, like why is there no, you know, there's all these different cultural months we celebrate, why is there no Jewish thing on the calendar? Why mm. have people been asking for years not to start the school year on Rosh Hashanah and the school keeps doing it like on purpose? Mm. Why? And people just like shooting her down. Someone told her she was act enacting white supremacy or something and she just used to <laughs> black, um, by the way, racializes black and she just couldn't even, you know, like, yeah. And she finally discovered that Emma, the Tema Oaken, like, oh, because she wanted to have an agenda in a meeting and <laughs> to run a meeting. And that was, that's being really white, apparently. Yeah, it's being very yeah. white. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Goal oriented structure. Yeah. <laughs> so, anyway, she just, not she just kept trying and like, 
I think it took her eventually to go, oh my God, you know, like this is ridiculous. And and she um, had gonna... she stayed strong in that conviction and didn't allow herself to question herself the way that yeah, she kept trying to, you know, she would come in with her presentations of she has a really good um huh. map of matrices of different theories of race and the the people who who are the exponents of them and the different models and like so she's you know she has some she's done some interesting thought work around all of these huh. things and clearly doesn't think the you know, the, the CRT woke way is, is the way to go. But anyway, so she, I think I learned about, because Fair took up her case, her like legal mm, case. Mm -hmm. I knew of her from that. She's now doing stuff related to, I think, um, one of the organizations that's trying to make sure like the curricula are being less radical, mm -hmm. um, say around, I don't know if it's just ethnic studies, but she immediately got, mm -hmm. you know, she's got so much to offer. Mm -hmm. so she, but anyway glenn interviewed her and so okay. to just, oh i gotta see this that's great yeah yeah okay. it's really i mean it's it's again it's it's kind of surprising like how could she not actually know being in the diversity world that this stuff was going on and then just sincerely trying to just do like something very healthy with people and just getting all of this like attack um i, I could just you could just see how like just blindsided that she was, was a wake-up call for her like realizing, oh, this is uh, this is not what I thought it was, and it's uh, two people in the chat, Mirwar Jumo and Ray, both said that she was accused of white splaining. Oh, what is white splaining? <laughs> can, can one of y'all white explain to me what that means? Now, yeah, like man mansplaining, but a white person. Oh my gosh! Okay, that's that's, that's I, hilarious very crazy <laughs> explaining Ooh. you know my my i had a group yesterday and my sound wasn't working and so i was facilitating in the chat and at the end i said i was practicing being a cis straight white male in the meeting because i couldn't talk <laughs> oh gosh <laughs> oh well your silence is violence deborah <laughs> right oh my goodness oh that's interesting um I, there was something I was going to say. Oh, yeah. But, uh, Brandon Bergarian actually says you can't because silence is violence. Yeah. Um, there was something I was going to bring up about this and I'm, I'm slipping my mind. Jennifer, mm. what, what do you think about any of this? Well, my hope is that it it does seem like more people are waking up to how um the approach we have going on today with that's you know informed by critical race theory that this is not a continuation of the civil rights act that this is actually itself a form of racism that it's you know profoundly cynical and harmful and my i do think more people are waking up i'm not ready to you know go woohoo victory or anything by any stretch of the imagination because i know and I think it's important to recognize people are still struggling in their workplaces and still facing harassment for criticism of this stuff. And so we are by no means out of the woods, but I do think more people are waking up. And so I'm keeping my fingers crossed that that will continue. Yeah. And it does seem like, oh, go ahead. No, no, Deborah, you go ahead. It's, it's tricky because I think some people can probably speak up more and there's still some people in certain positions that probably are still going to be quite a target and will get 
you know, probably still get a lot. Like I'm looking Barry Weiss, like, you know, she wrote this NDEI thing and, you know, people just go at Barry Weiss anyway. Like she could sit there and they'll probably go at her, but she, they got, they were even embroiling her in some sort of thing about somebody, somebody I think who was Palestinian who died in something, the IDF. And there was this whole like Barry Weiss was, it was the guy died because of Barry Weiss ordered a hit on, I don't know. It was just ridiculous, you know? And mm -hmm. so I, there's still a lot of like ridiculousness I think going on and, and people that are prominent that are still probably targets for um, at least online abuse. Um, Absolutely. So, you know, maybe if you're quietly like in your own company, making a comment, you know, amongst three people, that's a different story, but there's people I think that probably are way visible that could, you know, still be getting a lot of flack. Well, and it's still, it's still dominating the institutions and that's, that's what the real concern is. Cause there's always going to be people that, um, have, you know, kind of revolutionary, uh, fringe ideas and that's fine. People can think whatever they want. It's when the institutions adopt those ideas and then attempt to enforce them. And I, I think particularly concerning, is the fact that all of this stuff is so much in the schools and, um, you know, particularly that kids are getting indoctrinated with it still at a really young age. And it, it, it can't really be resolved until it's out of the institutions because it's, you're just, you're just, um, you know, indoctrinating your next wave of completely histrionic people screaming and yelling, um, you know, with the purple hair and I like purple hair, so nothing against that, but you know what I'm saying? Like just people that have just become completely unhinged and are screaming about microaggressions and trying to get people fired. They're just, the schools are creating the next wave of that. So mm -hmm. in the, in the chat, this is something I think may be interesting to, to discuss white advocate says, and it needs to be called out explicitly as anti-white, not implicit mumbling about communism. And I don't, I don't really agree with that necessarily. I think that the white, the anti-white stuff is just low hanging fruit because it's such an easy category to attack, partly because it's not as Mirwaj Jumeau says, a very meaningful category for a lot of people. I, I think that there are there's like this general who me, you know, kind of response that doesn't lead to it's you watch the different you, you can see the, the difference with this recent uh, stuff happening with anti Semitism. The the category of Jewish is a meaningful category. And so if you call out people in that category, or you start to attack them, you're going to get a, a meaningful response, because it means something to them. But white is so diffuse. I don't, it in especially in America, it's just all, I don't think that there's like this sense of white identity and they've been trying to create that and make it into a boogeyman. But I think that the point is division, not specifically anti-whiteness. But what do you guys think? I think it's I both. I think, okay. Yeah, okay. I think it's, I think it's both. I absolutely think they're trying to divide us. And I think instead of using class, they're mm -hmm. trying to do it by race. And mm -hmm. I do think the aim is to undermine, um, you know, capitalism, democracy. I, I, do, I think it's basically like a form of neo-Marxism that instead of using class, they're using race. So mm -hmm. I do, I do think it is that. However, 
I don't, I know some people object to the term anti-white in part because it was quickly adopted by people who actually were far, you know, very far right. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I like to call things what they are and I don't really like to play language games. And I think it is anti-white. And I had so many, there were so many terrible things in my workplace that were just absolutely denigrating white people and speaking about white people in a way that they wouldn't dare speak about anybody else. And yeah, I don't wake up in the morning and pop out of bed like a pop tart. I'm white. Like my identity revolves around that. But the reality is I am white. I Mm. am indeed white. And if, and just historically, I think aiming hatred at a particular group of people has never ended well. And Mm -hmm. so I think just like, um, you know, horrible anti-Jewish, anti-statement and activity should be called out as anti-Semitism. I think that these terrible things that they're saying about white people should be called out as anti-white. That's Mm -hmm. my feeling on it, even though that has sometimes been, that idea has sometimes been misused by people. I still think, I I just think it is what it is. And it is Mm -hmm. anti-white. If you're saying absolutely horrible things about a group of people on the basis of an immutable characteristic, they can't do jack shit about, didn't choose to be white. I can't escape it. It's like you are guilty just by existing. I think it's really dangerous. Mm, I think that's a great perspective. And I can't disagree with anything you're saying. I guess I just would say, it seems like it's an attack on what are perceived norms. Because you see it with the, yeah. the anti-cis heteronormative and whatever. So it's like an right. attack on all right. the things that are perceived norms. And and in this in the Western world, in Europe and the US, it's the, in Canada, you know, North America, you've got this white majority, right? So it's part of the norm. I I feel like it's just it just is who happens to be normative not necessarily anti-white per se i feel like that narrows the field too much so you're not talking about what's really happening in the uh, you know in the most descriptive way but i see your point and i i agree with you clearly anti-whiteness is a part of this for sure well and white people white people are a majority now with Mm -hmm. millions and millions of people flooding europe um i don't know how many, how many generations will they still be a majority? And, you know, part of the reason why um, people who are saying all these horrible things about white people can't really, uh, you know, put us in concentration camps is because unlike the Jews who were about 1% of the population, um, (laughs) we are the majority, but I don't know, hundred years from now, probably not. I mean, London is 15% um, people from Muslim countries who are Muslim, that drastically changes the culture. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, both racially and, you know, culturally. And so, yeah, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I see it as dangerous and I, I, I actually want it called out. I think I sit in the maybe the middle here. I'm thinking because I I think possibly the original intention was whiteness is basically the majority culture or whatever of uh, people, but there are people that will deploy that against a person. Mm-hmm. 
So there's this a whiteness, or we're not really talking about a person, but then they could turn around and go, but we're not hiring you because you're a white man or something. Like, mm-hmm. like, like, or you mm-hmm. must be such and such. So I, there may have been this more nebulous, whiteness is kind of more a set of Western cultural norms, but then suddenly it will be weaponized against a specific individual who happens to have that coloring. Yeah. Or something mm-hmm. like that. And so it, it it's like a lot of the woke things, they sort of like, oh, it's not really that, but then it, it like moves around, you know? And you know <laughs> what? It's I, convenient. I, I think, yeah, that's a really good point about the, how it's applied practically and how it impacts individuals. And I, I guess I, I'm trying to articulate this, but it feels like if we focus on what it's anti, so if it's anti-straight, uh, if it's anti-capitalist, yeah, if it's anti-white or whatever it is, then we're going to play whack-a-mole because it's a process. It's just a, it's a process of, of reductive anti-individualistic tearing people apart divisiveness and so i i think that that's been my concern with with any kind of reaction or response to it too is that if you just turn around and employ the same process back if you become anti-woke in order to combat the woke but you're targeting the people in in the same way that they've been targeting you what Mm -hmm. what are you solving are you not just perpetuating that same process and asking for it to to just shift its target and so i guess it it's it is anti-white but i don't necessarily think i think that that's too small a definition because i think anti-white is just what it's pointing at right now one of the Mm -hmm. things it points at but what it is whatever it is is a process of dehumanizing other individuals and and not seeing not being loving for one thing. I mean, I know that sounds really simplistic and kind of naive, but it's just, it's not loving. It's, it's about division and hate and resentment instead of love and, uh, and uh, understanding of other people and respect for the other. So yeah, it's something you want to tackle it like at the root mechanism. Right. And there are these manifestations that are a bit of a problem, but you're like, if you kind of pay attention at that, yeah, like you said, it's going to move around. So let's kind of go to the root of what, the, what the, uh, how this is operating. Yeah, I think so. But I do also think that it, it does make sense to call it what it, what it is, Jennifer, like you're saying, label it, what it is, talk about what's being done. And, and when people have had that kind of experience, just like what the social justice folks would tell you is that you, these, you got to listen to somebody's lived experience and understand what it's like to be them. I think that that goes every single direction. You know, these people mm-hmm. who are experiencing not getting hired for the job because they're white, it sucks. That's really difficult. That makes their lives more difficult for no reason or just for retribution. So Paul McAuliffe says, did you folks catch Boston Mayor Wu's holiday party for non-whites? Do you know what that's about, Deborah? Yeah. Do you know, Jen? (laughs) Do you want to tell it? So, (laughs) sorry, this is hilarious. She sent an email for um, council members to attend a holiday party that is for um, non-white council members only. <laughs> she didn't mean to send the email to 
any of the white council members. It was meant to surreptitiously be sent to only the non-white people, um, but she sent it to um, everybody accidentally. And of course it caused a bit of a stir. And um, it's funny because she was sort of apologizing for it, but she wasn't apologizing that they're holding a, um, a dinner that excludes people by race. She's apologizing for accidentally having sent it. Oh my <laughs> gosh. <Dead> white. <laughs> oh my God. That's so fucking hilarious. <laughs> I'm like, and then she says basically something like, well, but they're having, you know, they're having a holiday party for everybody. So we look forward to seeing everybody there. <laughs> That's oh when gosh. we'll deal with y'all white people. So the holiday party for everyone. <laughs> Can you imagine if somebody sent a an email out inviting only white people, only white council members? We need our own little um, holiday party. I just <laughs> so I just have to laugh because I just find it absolutely insane. Oh my gosh! Yeah. Well, oh, and. Her yeah, husband is white, and I just oh my like, gosh, <laughs> she's Asian American. Um, I just wondered how he's treated. <laughs> well, maybe he can like, you know, maybe he can eat his dinner out of a dog bowl or something while she sits at a table. You know, <laughs> the white section. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Wow. Yeah. I think that's just crazy. I think it's so nutty that we've got that this is being in, endorsed by anybody. And what, what's the repercussion for someone who's an elected official doing that kind of thing? I mean, promoting racial segregation, you know, it's an, that's, is it an official party for elected officials or, or for their cabinet members taxpayer or money taxpayer money oh my gosh <laughs> so what's the repercussion for that that's just is there one or is it just oh well she she targeted the group that we're okay targeting so yeah i don't know yeah you know it's no it's um some something i was excited about listening to today um you know what lee Jessam, he's done some yeah research around anti-woke things and so he's working on some research we can say we think DEI is not good or it's causing problems, but they're actually trying to test that by like introducing people like the test subjects to like, I don't know, some Ken esque or D'Angelo esque like statements and then giving some sort of quiz afterwards versus people that read about like an Iowa cornfield or something. I think that was the example. And so it'll be interesting to see. I don't know how well designed this is, but if we could actually see that after being exposed to some of these concepts that people... I don't know how they'd show it. Um, I don't know whether they'd give them things that would show in some intolerance or if they'd give them some things that show negative attitudes towards groups. I'm not, I'm not sure what they're going to test on, but to have someone like kind of finally purposefully um, exposing people to some of these ideological approaches that we think aren't a good idea and then actually see how that does affect people um, and be able to prove something potentially with that. I think that's going to be really interesting findings. Let's see, Mirwa Jumo says, does the implementation of DEI affinity groups in workplaces, et cetera, entail making lists of emails according to race, et cetera, so that you can easily tick a box to send to BIPOC or non-men, et cetera, only? Well, it certainly seems like it would. 
Like you have to have your your BIPOC email list and your white people email list. <laughs> I mean, that makes me that makes me sad. You know, like I. Well, and then I, they have the like white identifying or BIPOC identifying so that you can opt into whatever race you want to opt into. How do you even, how do you even identify someone else's race? Well, it's that's another so thing. Mixed that's, up. That's a, We're so blended, it, especially people I who know. Been, families have been in the U.S. for a long time. How many different races does even a very white looking person have oftentimes you know that's a, i just think that's such a kind of um blunt and crude instrument for sorting people i mean why don't we just have a holiday party for blondes and a holiday party for brunettes you know i mean come on can i be blonde identifying if i was a blonde as a kid <laughs> i as a blonde will get to decide if you're legitimate <laughs> blonde lives matter jennifer hey you know and nothing is more friggin culturally appropriated than blonde hair natural blondes oh. were two percent of the population so i'm a minority yeah. technically i just want to state that sounds like mm. you have been experiencing some marginalization I've so, been totally, yeah, totally marginalized. But you have more fun, right? I do. <laughs> <laughs> well, is it privilege or mar marginalization at this point? You have blonde privilege. <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, what an interesting conversation. I feel like this is, uh... yeah, Ray says, I had to make such a list for my local union. Ooh. Ooh. Ooh, interesting. Oh, dear. Yeah. Okay. Well, I guess we better wrap up because it's that time. And I never say this, but if people are watching this and enjoying it, please do subscribe to the channel and give it a like. Um, and I, one of my new year's resolutions is going to be to upload my, these episodes more quickly to Spotify so that I'm on with that right now. I've been terrible oh, about cool. it and I'll do like two or three of them all at once when I remember that I haven't done it. And so I'm going to try to do that as I, as I do them so that they can be more, um, timely. So if you're enjoying it, please hang out with us, put us in the subscribe list or whatever. <laughs> I never say that it's such a pretentious podcastery thing to say. <laughs> what, what Deborah? <laughs> it's funny because you, I think I was like talking over you and blocking your mic. So it's just like kind of a pantomime. Of... <laughs> All right. Well, have a lovely week, everybody. Thanks for joining us in the chat. And it was really great to see you two today. Thank you. Thank right. you. It's been fun. All right. <laughs>